going on guys welcome back to edge of the wormhole episode seven and today we're bringing you a, a big variety of, of topics uh, ranging from ukraine war to a couple non-mainstream sports and maybe some even some new discoveries all around the globe yep and uh i think if it's okay with you we'll uh get into a new segment this week as well that we're gonna do yeah let's uh, do it each week okay so um today is um it's monday march 6th and so we're gonna introduce a new segment this day in history so on this day in history, March 6, 1899, the German company Bayer patents aspirin. Um, so that was the most common household drug at the time, but it was in a different form, and it was acetyl salicyclic acid, which was originally made from the bark of willow trees. Yep. And um, the active ingredient, salicin, was used for folk medicine, which uh, begun in Greece, and Hippocrates used it to relieve pain and fever. Um, so it was noted to have an, a very unpleasant taste and a tendency to damage the stomach. So yep. doctors in the mid-19th century used it sparingly because of this. Um, in 1897, a Bayer employee found a way to create a stable form of the drug that was easier and more pleasant to take. Um, and, uh, after obtaining the patent rights, Bayer began to distribute aspirin in powder form to physicians and they gave it one gram at a time. So the brand name came from A for acetyl, S-P-I-R from the spiria plant, which is a source of salicin and the suffix N is just commonly used in medications. Um, and aspirin quickly became the number one household drug worldwide. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, kind of how the drug aspirin got started. Yeah. A really cool, cool drug, something that changed the game, I think for, for heart pain too. you know, take a, a baby aspirin to keep, keep your you know valves cleaned out and everything in your heart. And I worked with this a little bit in college and a few labs. And one of the cooler things about aspirin was the later development. I don't remember exactly what year, but. They developed a coating so that the aspirin wouldn't dissolve in your stomach acids and so it wouldn't damage your stomach. It would dissolve later on, I think, uh, I think maybe in your large or small intestine. So you still yeah. felt the full effects and, you know, got all the, all the nutrients and stuff from it, but it didn't damage your stomach linings. So, yeah, yeah, like an extended release. Yeah, coating. It was an extended release. They de- I don't remember exactly what the coating was, but yeah, did some experiments on that, seeing how long the extended release lasts versus the normal dissolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that yeah, some pretty cool stuff there. Really helpful drug and great development by Bayer. Yeah, yeah, something uh, is used every day. Yeah, still, still to this day. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get into a few topics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so today in history is something we'll be doing every week, like Hunter said, starting out. So be looking forward to that. Uh, the first topic we're going to cover today, though, is I believe the biggest topic in the news, the Russian-Ukraine war. So here recently, 
you know, the war's been going on for over a year now, and there's still not a ton of progress been made by the Russians. I know that most of the media, and me included, probably the Russian government and everybody involved there thought that this was going to be a, a massacre, and it hasn't been pretty as far as civilian casualties and casualties in general go, but we thought that the Russians were just going to roll right through Ukraine, didn't know how much support was going to get was going to get over there who was going to give support uh, really just a lot of quick questions about how that was going to go and how the ukrainians would fight but over the past year they've been extremely resilient held their own and this is starting to look pretty bad on the russian side they're really unable to hold any positions unable to gain any ground their tanks and armored warfare has been really poor logistically it's been really poor Soldiers don't want to be there and starting to take a, a little bit of a scary turn for the rest of the world as I believe two weeks ago, Russia said they were going to suspend the their participation in the New START Treaty, which basically controls and regulates the usage of intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missiles, nuclear weapons things of that nature and so yeah I think that really opened I don't at least for me I don't want to say I forgot about it I definitely still checked in on it every you know week or two but it's really opened my eyes to it again and I've been paying a little bit more attention to to what's going on over there yeah it seems like almost there's a little bit of like a revamp um here in the last couple days like uh, Russia has really focused in on um, I think it's a city like Bakhmut. I don't know how you really pronounce it, but Russia is like honing in and wanting to attack and take that city. Um, yeah. And so I'm kind of looking here, and apparently, uh, like, this is as of yesterday, Russia had this um, city kind of surrounded on three different sides. So um, it seems like they're in, like, almost have more of a, a goal right now than they have in the last couple months where they've just been like aimlessly fighting. It seems like, yeah, but yeah, I agree. The like withdrawing from the treaty is very scary. And I think, uh, like you said, like this should have been something that was basically over within 48 hours. If, if Russia was had the military that they put on yeah. and of course now it's gone for over a year and I feel like it's just getting to the point where Russia has or is currently using up all of their resources, all of their weapons, their missiles, things like that. And, and at this point, it's been almost a, like a waste, really. And I feel yeah. like we're getting to the point where um, it's it's going to be, you know, they're essentially backed into a corner and they have nowhere to go because they're running out of resources and I'm afraid that it's going to result in some you know nuclear missile being sent somewhere yeah, just because they the they point. have nothing else to do. Yeah, Russia is a country that takes a lot of pride in things like this and you know recently here recently they've turned to the the Wagner group of mercenaries because their soldiers weren't able to get the job done over there and uh, you know, major props are U- Ukrainians. I-, I know Americans would do the same, but somebody invading your home country and having the the magnitude of an army that Russia does or puts on to have 
which is something maybe we can discuss too. With Russia and China, I think they they put on you know China obviously has a large military force, but they put on like there's some big great strong military unit and technologically advanced, but I think a lot of that was a front, and I think that's where a lot of people, including myself, uh, got misled on this was. Uh, you know, Russia is supposed to be a great military power and they're, you know, unable to overthrow the, the citizens of Ukraine, really, that are fighting as much as anybody over there. And yeah, if anything, I think this proves that, you know, Russia is not as much of a threat militarily as we thought. Uh, I, and I would put a lot of money on China being the same way. Uh, but yeah, I think the real scary thing here is if the rumors coming out of Russia are true that, you know, Putin sees this as his last move. If he is, there's been rumors that he's sick. He doesn't have a whole lot of time left and he wants this to be his lasting impact is taking Ukraine back, which used to be a part of the Soviet Union and uh, used to be a part of Russia a long time ago. But uh, yeah, taking that back for the, for the motherland, I believe is what his, his original goal was, you know, that that's the scary part that, that I think would be the the main driver for using a nuclear weapon over there, and yeah, that's something that is that I, I think it it's on the table over there. If you're if you're Putin, for, from my perspective, I, I mean, obviously, I would never do something like that. You're talking about something that would completely change the course of mankind, and yeah, I I think he's crazy enough and getting pushed to that point where he would consider it. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Like, or, like you said, like getting pushed to that point, and and if he is sick, or um, it, like this very well could be his last chance to make a move or to leave a legacy. So yeah, like I w- wouldn't wouldn't doubt, you know, that that he might try to pull something crazy. And the thing is, like you said, like this would change change the course of mankind. Like in in the forties, we dropped two nuclear bombs, which. Yeah, you know, obviously flattened two cities and, and yeah. caused very like long lasting impacts in Japan. The problem is now, eighty years in the future, is these bombs that are available today are, you know, how many times greater than the ones dropped eighty years ago. Yeah. So now we have the capabilities to change the geography of a country, like the topography and yeah. like physically change the the earth that along so, with the, the nuclear fallout and radiation and yeah yeah i mean, I mean it's the if one if one is dropped today it's it's gonna have such a lasting impact yeah we all know and, ukraine is no stranger to to radiation though with chernobyl yeah but. <laughs> yeah and the problem is too is like <laughs> so ukraine you know all these countries have supplied ukraine with with um weapons and things like that which russia says like you know this is gonna have their own consequences of course they've done nothing but like say they get pushed over the edge and and send a nuke somewhere in to a nato country like i feel like at that point are we just gonna start exchanging nukes like and if so like you know like um Multiple countries are going to get destroyed. And that sucks for, like, the citizens of Russia who don't want to even be involved with this, which, yeah. from my understanding, is a decent amount. Yeah, I think the Russia, the their 
mainstream media there at first had the people convinced that this was, you know, a campaign that against the NATO countries and they were taking Ukraine in and that's how strong the media is over there at controlling things. But I think now they're kind of onto it and mm -hmm. they realize that and this is kind of pointless. Like that's, it's almost bar barbaric to just say, Hey, we want this land back. Like I get it. You want to take it back because it was originally Russia's, but like, that's very barbaric, something you don't see nowadays. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of the other day. Like, why? Like, why is this going on? And I was thinking, like, man, that is such like you said, like a, that is such a barbaric idea. Like, I want this land back, so I'm going to go try to kill people to get it back. Like, yeah, like you, you don't think already we would have, be past that. Yeah, like you don't already have maybe the largest land mass in the world as a country. I think the second largest. Are they the largest? Yeah, China. Uh, hmm. that's a good question. I can't remember. Who it yeah, I don't know. Territory. Um. But yeah, I mean, of course we see wars like in the Middle East right now, like fighting over some things. And of course, at this point, that one's gotten a little out of hand. And who knows, like we've just been fighting over there for so long. Like, yeah, it's gone, you know, from oil and then terrorism and all this stuff. But yeah, this whole Russia, Ukraine thing is like purely wanting the land back. So that's kind of strange. And, um, um, uh, like you mentioned about like the media at first like um had had these people convinced but now they don't you know a lot a lot seem like they don't want to even be involved in this yeah. so at this point i'm wondering how long this is going to stretch out and i feel like if if the this um city that we were talking about earlier could be a pivotal moment because maybe if russia takes it maybe that gives them a little more confidence to keep going yeah. Maybe if they it may, if they're not able to, then possibly they rethink this, and that could be for better or for worse. I, I'm not for sure, but um, I I just wonder what happens. Like how how long does this keep going? Because it feels like they're just not gaining any ground. Like we're just we've been at a standstill now for like seven or eight months. Yeah, you know, and then now all like tons of Ukraine is just destroyed. Exactly. That's the thing, too. If they get this land back, you've got all these Ukrainian citizens who are like, you know, they're probably not going to fall into just Russian law and order. Yeah. And then you've, apart from that, you've also got all these destroyed cities and towns that you've gone in and destroyed. So you're going to have to rebuild. Yeah. It's like, for, for what? Yeah. I think that was a major miscalculation, too, by the Russians. I think they thought that the Ukrainians would roll over and be happy to join Russia again but uh, the Ukrainians obviously developed a sense of independence and didn't want to join Russia I think the Russians really thought that when they invaded you know they were you know a certain amount of citizens would put up a fight and want to stay independent but I think that the Russians really did think that some would join back and say hey I, we don't and we're fine joining Russia again yeah yeah I agree and and you know maybe they didn't expect to cause this much damage to like the infrastructure but yeah uh, i agree at this point you have and you've taken it so far like uh, it just seems like if if you do end up winning this and you get that back like it's it's just gonna be hard to kind of justify it because yeah. now you've got it you've destroyed it all yeah and to to close this out i, I do want to say russia as a country is in a horrible horrible position here because they have a dwindling male population. Mm -hmm. uh, this was the last 
chance that they were going to have to pull any kind of move like this, so they took it. I think that was another driving factor, but this was the largest male population they've had in years. And after this, like they're, the younger male population is basically non-existent there. Vladimir Putin has killed, eliminated any kind of successor that has ever come along to solidify his power. So when he passes away, where do they go for leadership? Their economy has been completely destroyed by sanctions and Nord Pipeline. What happened there, I think we'll find out eventually, but, uh, you know, it ruptured. They were selling insane amounts of natural gas to Germany, which has really hurt Germany as well. But yeah, just to, to close this one out, Russia's in a bad spot. And yeah, if this ends up not going their way, yeah, the, their backs are kind of against the wall. Yeah. And, and I mean, to be honest, if it does go their way, I don't know if they're going to be much better off. Yeah, I, I don't. I, this has gone so poorly so far, I don't know where they go from here. I, yeah, it's going to be very either. interesting to see if they... I, yeah, I don't know. He, Putin hasn't groomed a successor or seemed to take on anybody that, you know, would follow his leadership. There's going to be some kind of power exchange there that's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, and I think what what you're seeing now is just the result of generations of mismanaged government. Exactly. Yep. So... So, uh, an, a topic that I have um, recently come across. So, um, Japan has discovered 7,000 new islands. And so, when I first saw this, I was like, like, how is this possible? Like, it's, it's 2023. I just feel like everything... Everything that's out there has been found or discovered. You know, as far as this yeah. goes, like how how are we missing wise, an island? I thought everything was pretty set in stone geography wise. <laughs> Same. We're hitting islands out there. So, you, you know, like it would make sense if if we had cartographers who were making our maps today, and that's what we relied off of. But now we have satellite <laughs> images, so we can we can s- like literally see what a map should look like and see all the islands. Yeah, exactly. So, this comes this comes with a disclaimer though. So these aren't necessarily new islands. So uh, essentially what it is is Japan has been using a satellite system I guess that's a little like subpar and basically there's tons of islands over there that it, it the imagery basically made it look like it was one island when it might have been two or three. So, gotcha. Gotcha. so they've upgraded their satellite systems and realized that they have about seven thousand more islands than previously thought, which doubles their their number of islands. You know, J- Japan is like an island nation, so sweet. Um, now, so this takes them from six thousand eight hundred fifty-two to fourteen thousand one hundred twenty-five different islands. Yeah, that's a nice little flex right there for your Japan. Yeah, and and the last time that they mapped the. Um, country was in like 1987 so hmm. which is strange that you like this is not something you're just constantly doing but um, yeah so yeah they were using 1980s model satellites to figure out their land yeah and, uh, that's something you'd expect from uh china or russia or india or something but japan's usually pretty up to up to spec with the tech and 
on top of that stuff so yeah very surprising to hear yeah that. yeah no I, I was pretty surprised yeah it's a cool little story i was my first thought was maybe they were some kind of a volcanic rock formation coming up from the bottom if there's like some open magma spots there i know it's pretty shallow a lot of volcanic activity and earthquakes in that area so but yeah that's really cool to to hear though that there's you know seven thousand more new islands and instead of six thousand some they've got thirteen thousand some so that's yeah, yeah and and apparently a few of those have popped up from uh volcanic activity but um yeah i think the majority is just realizing that you know what you previously thought was one island maybe two or three yeah yeah it's really cool uh next topic i wanted to cover here john jones makes his return to the ufc to fight cyril gone and at least for me, is that I'm not a huge UFC fan by any means, but I'll keep up with the big fights and the big names. And as soon as I saw John Jones back on a card, I was pretty fired up. And he looked like he had been fighting regularly, hadn't taken three years off. He, he looked like the John Jones of old last night against Cyril Gone. Uh, got him into a submission in the first round, and really just looked dominant again. I, I know he was my favorite dude to watch when he was, you know, dominating the light heavyweight division. And yeah, it was more of the same last night. Yeah, I've never, I mean, I watch a lot of the, you know, bigger fights and everything, keep up with some of the bigger names, but I was never into it too much. But John Jones is a name that always sticks out to everyone. Yeah, he's a he's a big bad dude. <laughs> Not yeah. someone I'd want to get in the ring with. Yeah, he's a stud. Uh, he's probably my favorite fighter to watch. I, I love Habib too, but uh, yeah, he. I was interested to see how he would do at heavyweight. I knew he would be really good. Just I was interested to see how he'd go against a, another heavyweight. Like, would he be able to knock him down, get him on the ground? But it, I mean, he just came out and went right after Cyril Gone and. You know, this was a great fight. I feel like it got him back in rhythm, got him some fight action again, even though it just went one round. And according to Steve Miocic himself, there's a fight set up in July where he was going to fight the winner of this fight. So, yeah, I believe we're going to get John Jones and Steve A if everything goes as planned. So that's uh, that's the fight that I really, really want to see because Steve A dominated the heavyweight division for a long time in the UFC and I believe that's going to be a, an a, like a, a must watch fight for for John to really get back in the game and, and he's already solidified as one of the greatest fighters of all time I don't think there's any any arguing that but him as far as taking his name back to the top of the list of UFC fighters you know there may be a couple bigger shows in town right now with Israel Adesanya and uh, you know hated hated to see him lose his last fight, but I think that uh, you know if John wasn't at the top of the list, I think this next fight will put him back at the top. Yeah, yeah, and did, there was um, I think like Jake Gyllenhaal was uh, he yeah. was a part of this too in a way because I think he was filming a scene for a movie that he's in, so they they kind of 
it's pretty it's a good idea because you record it at the ufc event so you have all the crowd photographers and all that there yeah you got all the lighting set up and everything but one the one thing i didn't get is like isn't it kind of a spoiler for the movie though <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true everybody that's true. there was video in it and you saw kind of what happened you know i, I think that may give a little bit away but yeah it's a great idea outside of that <laughs> yeah i don't know how how many people were in that stadium or whatever but um yeah i guess they're probably they probably are gonna uh be a little spoiled on this movie but for the rest of the people it's gonna be great because it's it's I mean, you can't get more realistic really yeah 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 we'll uh, have to so, keep an eye out for that one yeah hundred and hundred big nfl nba college basketball uh mlb guys but when there's a big UFC event, we'll keep you updated on it, give you some thoughts. But last night, yeah, just pure domination again from John Jones. Looked like John Jones of old. And, yeah, we'll see how he does continuing through working through the heavyweight division. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, too, um, over the weekend, which I don't – I honestly haven't, like, done enough research to talk about it that much or have anything, but we did have the NFL combine, which is worth mentioning. Yeah. Our guy, Will Levis – Clocked yeah. in at 59 miles an hour. Uh, the cannon was in full effect. He looked pretty good in his uh, yeah. going through the throws. I think he tested well. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But Anthony Richardson <laughs> had an absolutely unbelievable combine. Yeah. It, it's really crazy to see because he's probably going to go in the top 10 now. And he is a horrible quarterback. But, <laughs> yeah. Like he, he has these physical tools that are unbelievable, but how many guys have we seen that are just physical monsters, absolute specimens that, you know, he, he struggles to make reads. He's very inaccurate, gets sped up in the pocket, has zero pocket presence. He has nothing that you look for in an NFL quarterback besides being an absolute demon of an athlete. I feel like the, the combine for me is a little strange because I think it makes sense if you're, um, you know, if you're looking to draft players like maybe a little later in the first round or or in the rounds following. But for like your top first round dudes, like you know, um, you, like you know what you're looking at, right? Like yeah, you you've had scouts watching these dude all dudes all year. You're watching their film. You know, like you know what kind of a player they are. So, what's it matter how fast they run a forty or or how much they can bench? Because you know their field IQ and you're seeing the way that they perform in the game. Um, but, so I don't know. It's a little strange because then you get someone like Anthony Richardson yeah. who just like if you only looked at his combine numbers, you'd be like, man, this dude is a dog. Like, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, he you know he's got the the physical talent but yeah what whether or not he performs um that way on the football field is i mean he set what like two two combine records yesterday yeah i think he set the vertical weekend? leap and the 40 yard dash record for quarterbacks yeah so uh yeah it's very uh very intriguing prospect we'll just say that to be kind to anthony richardson uh yeah there's a couple other Guys, I think it was uh, Nolan Smith from Georgia. He made a lot of money at the combine. I think he ran a four three nine forty as a defensive end with like a forty one and a half inch vertical. I think six five two forty or two fifty some. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he was abs- just had a monster day. He made a lot of money yesterday. 
But yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm kind of in the Dan Campbell camp as far as grading a prospect. I'm going solely off game film. Like you can look yeah. and see if a guy can play. In the NFL especially, it's more about the anticipation, preparation, and being able to get the job done, you know, on like as much before the play as after. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, obviously the athleticism helps. It never hurts to have a guy that runs a 4-3 instead of a 4-5. Yeah. But, yeah, you, I think you go first off game film. But it, yeah, if you're going to take a, a third, fourth, fifth round pick and, you know, you don't have maybe your guy got that you wanted in that round was snagged a few picks ahead and you're debating between a guy you really like and somebody that maybe – dropped a little bit because their game film was good but they tested bad at the combine i'm probably taking a guy that that tested bad at the combine that has great uh you know great film over a guy that just tested freakily but you know was getting beat off the ball and making coverage mistakes communication errors which those things sometimes can be fixed i will sometimes sometimes dudes just are freaks and don't figure it out but the ones that really baffle me are the ones like uh, just Derrick Henry, for example. Yeah. You see it all over his game tape at Alabama. He's a stud. And then he comes out and runs in the, I think like he ran like a 4-5-2 or something. And people were like, nope, he, he's not going to be able to break away. And then he comes to the NFL, has to basically sit two years because of this misconception. And his people think he can't catch passes, which that's one of the most, I hate when people think that this people get in their heads that running backs can't catch passes, just certain yeah. dudes. And there's pass, pass catch running backs that drives me nuts. They can all catch the football. It's not crazy hard. Yeah. But yeah, so he drops in the second round. The Titans take probably the most consistently good running back besides maybe Christian McCaffrey over the last five, six years. Yeah. So yeah, there's all, there's cases like that every year where it's like, man, just he's a good football player. Just draft him. It, and I saw yesterday, I think the, or no, Friday, the Alabama safety, I can't remember his name, but he was the top safety on the board uh, coming in and he ran a four, five, five. And people are like, oh, he, he's not going to, like, he can play ball. It's not, don't put too much into it. Yeah. He and, knows ball. Yeah. He knows ball. He can play ball. <laughs> he gets ball. So, so yeah, yeah, we, uh, we'll see. Uh, got the draft coming up. Yeah, it seems like a pretty good draft class. There's a lot of good, good running back prospects. Probably the best. Uh, this happens like every two years, but this is the best quarterback draft class since yeah. you know whatever. So we'll see how it, how it all pans out. It's going to be really interesting on draft day this year because the Bears having the number one pick, I think, are going to be looking to trade it. I would if I was there. Yeah, I'd yeah keep, I think so. I'd want to keep Fields. I think there's a lot of potential there. To, you know, and having running a really diverse offense with his ability to run the football. So I think that number one pick's going to be on the move for at least getting shopped around heavily for the next, I think the draft's in June. So they got a few months to have it on the market there. So yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting draft night, and there's a lot of ways different teams can go. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and like you said, we'll be rooting for our boy Will Levis. Yeah, absolutely. If he goes to my Colts, I'll be pretty happy. I'll just say that. (laughs) 
So uh, another topic I wanted to hit on. This one's a big change of pace, but it's pretty cool in my opinion. So the Atlantic sturgeon was thought is is an endangered species and was thought to um, be gone from the waters of Virginia. But as of last week, the Atlantic sturgeon is back in Virginia. They do have a population, um, and this is um, pretty much due to a bunch of laws and regulations and conservation efforts to bring back the fish. So if you've never seen a sturgeon, it basically is a dinosaur. Uh, They get like 8 or 12 feet long. They've got armor plates on their back. Um, they don't, I don't, I don't know if they have, I don't know if they really have like sharp teeth, but I'm sure they have sort of like crushing teeth. Yeah. I think they just just feed off the bottom. Yeah. Just big round teeth. Yeah. So they're nothing really to worry about, but they do look pretty crazy. Um, but they're, they're beautiful fish. Um, yeah. yeah, And so there, there was a big problem, uh, in Canada and some of the more Northern waters, um, with commercial fishing, just wiping out sturgeon. Um, also people like to eat sturgeon caviar and I think they were just killing the mother just to get the caviar. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the seventies, um, there was originally the clean water act of 1972, uh, that helped to restore, uh, the quality in the tidal rivers in Virginia. Um, these fish need pretty similar to trout. They need a pretty good quality of water in order to survive. Um, and then in 1974, Virginia banned fishing for sturgeon um, completely. Um, and then in 1990, uh, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission enacted a fishery management plan um, that called to rebuild the sturgeon populations. So a few different, um, a few different uh, things there contributed to bringing back the sturgeon. Um, but yeah, it's officially back in in Virginia and. I think that's super cool. It's a, it's a good fish, um, and I hate to see animals like that be endangered or go extinct because they're truly incredible. I mean, these things have literally been around since the dinosaurs. They're, it's similar to yeah. an alligator or a crocodile. It is essentially just a dinosaur that has survived up until yeah, this point. Yeah, it looks like a, a water crocodile. Yeah. Not, I mean, obviously there's alligator gar, but I think even more than a gar, I think these look really like a a crocodile with fins yeah it's almost like a what is it like a stegosaurus like with armor plates on yeah yeah but it's a fish yeah and yeah and they get huge shout out to teddy roosevelt for the conservation efforts there call back to episode four absolutely boy tr really uh changed the game for conservation in america and you're still seeing it today there you go yeah absolutely yeah, another thing I was thinking about, so when you see these sturgeon, first thing I thought about, this may be just weird brain for me, but if I was able to, to ride a fish, I feel <laughs> like the sturgeon would be the one. Yeah, especially in the freshwater world. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like... riding a big great white shark would be pretty sick, <laughs> but like, I think... If you could ride anything into battle on the waters, I think it'd be a, a sturgeon. A sturgeon would be a pretty good one, yeah. Um, and they're similar to a tarpon. Like whenever you catch them, they're just known to jump really high. Yeah. So maybe if you're if you were if you were riding it in a battle, you could like the thing would be jumping, and it would just be more intimidating to the yeah. person that might be riding in a catfish or something like that. Yeah. Actually, I think now that I think about it, I think I saw a video of a guy that caught. Uh, a sturgeon, I'm not sure where it was, but 
that like any as he was reeling in it jumped up real high out of the water mm-hmm. and yeah they, they, they jumped some, super high i think it was something for a conservation effort mm-hmm. trying to you know tag it mm-hmm. so they can track it yeah they've been putting tons of trackers on them since like the early 2000s i think yeah um to try to figure out more about the species and how they can better preserve it yeah and fish are so cool yeah uh, and they're so important yeah very important to the ecosystem yeah i mean that's the thing too you know with all these animals like each one has its place in the in the ecosystem except for wasps i i i 100% believe that wasps have no place in this world and those should be eradicated yeah they're just kind of chilling they don't really they don't do anything for me no. personally they i think that similar to uh I don't want to say this because snakes do eat rodents and things like that, but geez, I, I'm really starting to, well, we were talking about this. So this, this dude on TikTok that, that we've been watching is like catching these crazy animals and snakes in the Everglades. And it's really almost made me start to develop this fear of snakes for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find his at and give him a shout out in the next episode, but yeah, yeah just walking barefoot through the Everglades. And just wrangling up anything he can get his hands on—that is nuts. Like those, <laughs> like that's a different world. The Everglades yeah, are yeah, a completely yeah. different world. And yeah. this dude's just like rolling up on a on an eight foot crocodile and putting his camera like an inch from its eyeball. Like brother, catching a, these crazy exotic like invasive lizards and and twenty foot Burmese pythons. Yeah, that, like that is a uh, that's dangerous activity there you you will that's one place you will never find me like i'll I'll go in the everglades you know i took a little airboat ride down there this past winter but yeah walking barefoot you couldn't i don't know i don't really think there's an amount you could pay me to to do that i don't know no there's no no amount i i like going down to the everglades and there's this um this particular little sort of boardwalk thing we always go to and there's always tons of alligators there and i like I like walking out on that, but I think every time I've been down there, I've seen like a snake at least, and it's yeah, it's like not even it's not even like you're walking into the woods or off the beaten path or anything like that, and like yeah, uh, the, it's it's so scary. Yeah, 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 that dude is he's he's yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, ne- next uh, next week maybe we'll do the Florida Man game where you type in your birthday in Florida Man <laughs> and see what we can get to pop up. <laughs> see what kind of stories we can find but yeah another like the crazy thing about the everglades is you have the mangroves and stuff and like the alligators just blend in so well like on our airboat ride so our we were just cruising kind of looking for some gators and our guide you know obviously lived down there his whole life so he kind of had an eye for it but as somebody that was just in there for you know a few hours you literally can't see them like you like the God spotted it and it literally took me five minutes after the God spotted it, which I'm not, I obviously don't have the best eyesight. Well, not obviously, but, uh, you know, I, I don't have the best eyesight. And so he spots this thing. and I'm just like, man, where's, where's that? And finally, you see those two little eyeballs out there. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, if I was in there, like my leg would be ripped off faster than like, I don't know. And I all of that water is like that really stained color. And yeah, it's the it like the alligators are the identical color, like that really dark brown black yeah. color. 
so yeah they're hard to see especially like if you if you're just walking on the bank and looking down into the water like you can see one laying there and not even really see it like yeah they those and that's an i mean those are literally dinosaurs like i i think yeah yeah that's, like yeah. if like they were around since the dinosaurs and i don't think they really yeah. evolved anymore like yeah. that's what they looked like like that's a that's a dinosaur and that's that's insane that they've lived so long yeah speaking and, to the to the evolution though that dark brown color is obvious like clear evidence of natural selection evolution that the gators that are at that yeah. color that can sit on the bottom and blend in a hundred percent are the gators that have survived and thrived down there. And now they're all that color. Yeah. And well, something else are albinos, which are pretty. Yeah. Crazy, I recently learned, which I knew, I knew that both animals were down there, but I didn't know this was the only place in the world where they coexisted, but the Everglades is the only place oh, in the yeah. world where alligators and crocodiles coexist. So it's the, yeah. um, about the southernmost part of the alligators range and then the northernmost part of the crocodiles range yeah, and they're, they're the American crocodile yeah. and there's because crocodiles tend to hang out in salt water but there's over like 400,000 alligators there and only about 2,000 um, crocodiles so the yeah, crocodiles are fresh, kind of few fresh water between. crocs down there yeah pretty cool to see but it's pretty cool yeah and and you know crocodiles have a skinnier face a longer snout and they're they almost have more of a camo pattern yeah. to them they're like grayish green with some speckled black yeah. dots and stuff but yeah yeah so yeah the everglades is pretty insane actually yeah so that makes two two dinosaurs we've touched on this episode alligators yeah. well three alligators crocodiles and um sturgeon sturgeon <laughs> brain fart there for a second yeah we'll have to do a dinosaur episode here soon i, I love seeing like just looking at an animal and being like dang that that species has seen so much stuff like oh yeah look, looking at it and being like man that that the way that thing has evolved and that yeah i have some cool cool theories and things you just pick up on those older ancient species really yeah so we'll get into that deeper on a wormhole wednesday before too long yeah uh, so final topic i want to touch on here is the just a quick one the start of the formula one season i think like a lot of americans i started watching uh, drive to survive on netflix an awesome awesome documentary series i would highly recommend like i i'm i'm not a guy that can sit down and watch a tv show like uh you know i can sit down and watch a movie or a few episodes but most of the time i i don't sit down and watch shows a whole lot but Drive to Survive, I'll sit down and watch 10 episodes as soon as the season comes out and get ready, get me ready for Formula One season and get an in-depth look at what happened all through the last season. And it's super cool to the all-access they get, the behind-the-scenes, seeing the drivers, because you don't get that with a lot of sports. And Formula One being as you know awesome and I, you, it's just really cool to see the way they build the cars. They go through the meetings. They do like pre-race prep. Their thoughts going into testing, then qualifying, and then the race. Everything that went on in the in the pit box and all that stuff. You get all the access, and you're starting to see it with golf. And I believe uh, you're going to see it with every sport before too long that they're going to just start doing a series like this. Like this is how good it is, how successful it's been. It's by far the best sports show. Way better than uh, the preseason NFL show. Uh, 
tagged on it. Can't remember the name of that either. Uh, I, don't know. I don't. I don't think I've seen it. Uh, yeah, I'll have to find it. But uh, yeah, the preseason, and then they tried to do it uh, in season as well. I think that it was the Colts maybe last year, and the Cardinals this year. Did they? Yeah, do aren't that? they? I think they followed around Patrick Mahomes all season and like yeah, Kirk Cousins. Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and uh, Marcus Mariota. Yeah, they, they followed them around, but. I'd really like to see like the same thing, but like a team-wide thing where they just do one team full season, and you don't see any of it until after the year's over. Yeah, that'd be that'd be super cool. Yeah, and especially I, if you ended up if it was just so happened that it was like the Super Bowl championship winners. Yeah, I I think that would be super really cool. Winners. And uh, you know, golf just did it. I think it's called Full Swing, mm-hmm. and I haven't watched that one yet, but I'm sure it's good. And baseball. It, this MLB season is going to be great. I have a really good feeling about it. Nolan Arenado, my preseason NL, NL MVP pick, is hitting 525 in the in spring training. So we're looking good on the on that pick. But yeah, MLB needs to do something to increase their popularity. On so they just need to get more people involved in the game. And I think that would be a great way to do it because you really don't see a lot of MLB players outside. Like Mike Trout is. Like, he doesn't post anything, really. And he's the greatest player of this generation, one of the greatest players ever played a game. And we're watching his career unfold right in front of us, and we really don't know anything about him because he's completely out of the public public eye, and he doesn't really put himself out there a whole lot. So I think that's something MLB should try to get into. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Looking at this Formula One season... You know, last year you had a whole bunch of changes to the specs that were allowed on the cars, and Red Bull really, Red Bull and Ferrari were way ahead of the rest of the curve on the new changes and getting putting a good car out there. So they dominated basically through the entire season. The Ferrari's downfall ended up being the engine failures, and they just had so many races where it felt like Carlos Sainz and uh, Charles Leclerc were both either you know one two or both top five and uh one or both ended up not being able to finish the race and i think if ferrari is able to you know they got a new team principal so that'll be interesting to see first of all but i think outside of that if they're able to sure up their car and make put a more dependable product on the track ferrari's going to be right in the mix i think yeah max I just want to say too, really fast. That's person. That's personally why I don't own a Ferrari. I just don't oh, okay. the, the dependability. Yeah. So yeah. if if we do see a good season this year, I might consider picking one up. Yeah, I completely understand that. It's you know, that's what you get with a with a cheaper vehicle like that. Though you just yeah, you know, you never know what you're going to get on the on the Ferrari line. Yeah, but, they're just mass produced on the assembly line. So yeah, yeah. Actually, this is a complete joke, Ferrari. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, please reach out. <laughs> or Red Bull, I could or, really or Red use Bull. that. We we are open to negotiations. We have no title sponsor at the time. Uh, we would gladly be a Ferrari podcast, and uh, I will purchase a, and put all my support behind, behind Charles Leclerc this for uh, this Formula One season. Yeah, yeah this, go ahead and reach out. Emails in the description. Yeah, yeah. We're not cheap, though. Just say so you no. Know, don't come to try to lowball us. Yeah. Throw us a, a 458 or something like that. We're, we want a 
you know, we want some, uh, I don't know, I would settle for a five ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. It certainly don't come to me with a Ferrari California. I, I won't. I will not accept. Yeah, you can keep that. Just don't yeah. even don't bring that to us. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know. What is the the La Ferrari? That is that is that a model? Yeah, they make like ten or eleven a year. It's like one point eight million. Yeah, I wouldn't mind having one of those. But like I said, the dependability for me is why I just can't commit. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to clear out. I I don't know. I don't even know if that would be worth clearing out a garage space for. Mm-mm. No, you just put a cover over it in the, in the yeah. driveway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Ferrari, uh, Red Bull, Aston Martin, if any of you guys want to, our support can be purchased <laughs> in the Formula One season, so reach out if you if you're, need somebody to lead your fan charge. Uh, but, yeah, just based on some preseason testing and qualifying for Bahrain, uh, we're recording this Sunday morning, so... We'll see how the race goes. Should be getting ready to start. Uh, but yeah, Max is going to be at the top, I believe. He's just an unbelievable driver for Red Bull. And it looks like they've got the fastest car again because uh, Perez and uh, Max Verstappen qualified 1-2. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be more of the same, more, more Red Bull this year. But the interesting thing to me was that the the Aston Martins seem to have really taken a step forward you know, they went they still have Lance Stroll whose dad owns the team so obviously he's just there because he's a great driver which he's not a bad driver but he's just there because he's a great driver even though his dad owns the team and then they go and get uh, I can picture him but can't remember the name but they went went and picked up another driver that's uh got world championship winning experience. So I think they're going to be a competitor this year. Uh, I hope to see the Haas cars, the only American owned team. I hope to see them back in the mix. McLaren really took a huge step backwards last year. I think with this, the spec changes on the cars, they were way behind everybody else and the changes they made really, I mean, they went from third to, I think they finished fifth or sixth last year in the team standings. So, yeah, I think those are the the big competitors. Mercedes will be good. I, they were having some issues. I think Lewis had said after qualifying that the car is still a long way off. So they're usually pretty good at adapting mid season, and I think they'll by the end of the you know they dominated the turbo hybrid era there with Lewis winning seven straight. But I think by the end of the year they'll be putting a pretty good product on the track. They have two great drivers with Lewis and George Russell. So they'll figure it out. And yeah, I think it's going to be a great season again. Yeah, I've uh, not really kept up with it, but um, I'm, I might have to have to watch Drive to Survive because I'm hearing a lot of good things and have to check out the F1 season. Yeah, I would highly recommend anybody watch Drive to Survive. It's, it's a fun show. It's an easy watch. You don't have to pay super close attention if you want to, you know, be on Twitter or watching... Uh, you know, have a something else on the background and watch it, but it's awesome. Uh, you know, the the shots of the cars going around the track, the cars sound wicked. It's really fun. You'll see you some wrecks every now and then. Could you watch some Edge of the Wormhole TikTok steering it? You could watch some Edge of the Wormhole TikToks once we get unbanned. You could listen to the podcast and watch the show. 
uh, I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a fun watch. Cool. Yeah, we just Especially have to get banned. If you're looking for a way to to get into Formula One, that was how I got started. I've never, you know, you see it on ESPN Sunday mornings. There's not a whole lot else on, and yeah, you're not really missing anything else when you watch it. And it's a good time. It's uh, something different. It's a lot more fun than NASCAR, I think. You know, you got 20 cars out on a really a road course battling it out, and it, it's a it's a lot of fun. The commentators are fun. You get to hear the driver interactions with their pit crews mid race, and there's a little bit more strategy with pit stops. So it's a it's not a NASCAR race where they're just going in a circle. It's a serious. You're driving the whole time. Drivers will wreck on their own without uh, you know being ran off the course by somebody else. And it's a it's a it's a good watch. I would really really highly recommend. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. Yeah. All right, Hunter, you got anything else you want to touch on before we wrap it up? That's about it, I think. That's sort of our week recap. Yeah, uh, I think we're planning on next weekend doing a a big March Madness extravaganza for the Monday episodes. That way we we don't miss a wormhole on something more, uh, you know, a little deeper. So you'll still get your deep dive fix on the wormhole Wednesday. And then, yeah, Monday we'll give you a... You know, hopefully a bracket breakdown. We'll see when everybody's available to record. I think we're going to bring a guest in and maybe even do a, a March Madness player draft. See who can put together the the best all time all time lineup. Maybe not the best, but who who each guy likes and maybe see how those teams will stack up. We'll give you our our favorites and our picks to to win the tournament. I know at least for me, the the first. You know, the round of 64 and the round of 32 that weekend when there's just basketball on constantly, that's my favorite weekend of the year. I don't know about you. Yeah, that's a hard one to beat. And and you start, that. I mean, you're seeing it already, but that's when you really start seeing some big upsets and some crazy games. Yeah, I, I think that's the most fun weekend for basketball the entire year. I would rather watch that than any NBA game and it's just fun because college basketball is like that you watch if you watch NBA and then you go watch college to objectively worse severely the skill level is just way worse but you see these dudes that are college legends just you know going off the low, lower seeds have nothing to lose so they're playing playing all out balls to the wall and there's just nothing like seeing a a 14 seed taking a number three seed high D one school to the limits in the first round. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's fun. I mean, maybe the most fun weekend in sports. I put it right up there. I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely, I mean, Super Bowl weekend. I would put it above Super Bowl weekend personally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Masters weekend is pretty. pretty Masters fun. weekend is pretty, is pretty up there. I don't know about you, but when the Masters come around, I like to make myself an azalea, sit out, yeah. watch watch the tournament all weekend. That's when yeah. you know spring is officially here, when the Masters is on. Yeah, we'll be doing a uh, a Masters only Monday episode. Oh yeah, that weekend for sure. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think we're gonna try to get one, maybe two two guests on for for March Madness. 
give you a breakdown. I'm sure we'll, we'll know some conference champions. I don't know if we'll be able to do it Sunday night to, to where we have the bracket in front of us and go through our picks. But, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be, uh, hearing a good March Madness episode. I've already been doing some research on my, my draft team. So Hunter, you better come ready next Monday for a, for a big draft. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to do some research this week, put some stuff together. Yeah. All right, and with that, we'll wrap up episode seven of Edge of the Wormhole. A little bit of everything today. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you on Wednesday for a for a Wormhole Wednesday deep dive on a topic to be determined. Yep, that's all right. So, if you have any uh, any feedback for us, um, any recommendations for topics or anything like that, any ghost stories, Bigfoot stories, you have a Dogman story, any kind of crazy story we'd love to hear it love to talk about it have you on um so our uh, our emails in the description it's edge of the wormhole at gmail.com so getting get a hold of us there um we'd love to hear from you but yeah, yeah so you've been walk, walking barefoot in the everglades and <laughs> been attacked by a burmese python or anything like that just yeah email in let us know we'll have a good conversation with you yep yeah we want to hear it so Yep, shoot us an email, and then uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for the day. Yep, sounds good. See you guys. See ya.